Hello, thanks for choosing to listen to this University of Brighton podcast. I'm Richard Newman, and in this episode, we've been speaking to Rob Morgan, Professor of Thermal Propulsion Systems at the university's Advanced Engineering Centre, to talk about the creation of the cleanest, highest efficiency engine in the world, which has just been purchased by a major vehicle manufacturer, which includes the Iveco brand. Rob's led the university's research to get to this point in conjunction with a variety of partners, namely Shoreham-based Ricardo, the global engineering strategic and environmental consultancy and specialist. It's a huge development which will have a massive effect on the environment and should be felt worldwide. And Rob sat down with me to talk about it. I'm a professor of thermal propulsion in the Advanced Engineering Centre. So I do a mixture of, of teaching, um, research and, and quite a lot of enterprise with, uh, with local companies. Let's dive straight in. We're, we're going to talk about a huge step in the near zero emissions engine, which has uh, emerged from your research. Um, I think it would be good to get a little whistle-stop tour first um, about how we arrived at this point. So, because you worked a lot in industry before you came to university. That's right, yes. So, uh, after uh, finishing my PhD, um, I worked for about 10 years at Ricardo, just down the road in, in Shoreham, um, on a range of sort of projects, uh, like I helped take the Mini to production. Um, and then I worked for uh, another small company in the in the local area called Ceres Power, uh, working in fuel cells. And then finally for, for an energy storage company called Highview, and I was their chief technical officer for a few years before joining the university. So you're here primarily to talk about the split cycle engine. We're going to try, and it may be tricky, <laughs> um, we're going to try to explain all this as simple as possible, but yeah. in a nutshell... What have you created, first of all? Right, well, uh, it's been a, a big collaboration mm. with, with lots of people. And actually, I, I worked on um, a similar idea when I was at Ricardo in industry quite some time ago. So this has taken quite a long time to get to where it is today. Um, but what we've done is we've fundamentally changed the way an engine works. So in a normal engine, you, you have a series of, of cylinders where you, you, you have air and fuel mixing together. They burn and you, and you produce the power. Now what we do is we've separated the, uh, squ- the squeezing process where we squash the, the air and the combustion process where we burn and expand the air into two different cylinders. Mm. And it's, re- it's really as simple as that, but that has two effects. First of all, it fundamentally changes how efficient the engine is. And this is how we get from you know, where you are around 40, 45% efficiency today to approaching 60% with an engine like this. The second thing it does is, which was the real breakthrough, is it means that we can very, very precisely control how the chemicals react in the chamber. And if we can control it, then we can avoid the conditions where you produce oxides of nitrogen and, and particulate emissions. And this is how you get simultaneously the, the high efficiency and the very low emissions. Yeah. Um- so you've got your. You just mentioned then about your background with, with Ricardo. Mm-hmm. Um, they're involved in this project. Yes. Well, Could you tell us what they do? Yeah. Sure. So Ricardo are um, what's called an engineering services provider. So what they do is they provide expert advice and services historically to the to the automotive industry. I mean, Harry Ricardo, the, the founder of the company, was uh, was one of the great innovators in the field back in the nineteen hundreds. Um, the company now is much broader in working in things like sustainability. So they do work on, on wind turbines, uh, a lot of, anal- of, of work in, in looking at um, innovative ways of, of reducing uh, you, you know, uh, the impact on the environment. So they actually they own now um, AEA Energy, who one of the big environmental consultancies as well. The big step now is that you've received a, a, a huge order 
for this engine. People will know the Iveco trucks. Their parent company, CNH Industrial, has has purchased it. It's, it's a huge breakthrough. Yeah. So the the, the technology we've 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 worked with um, with with Ricardo for for a number of years on this technology. I think it's a, it's, you know, it's over ten years now. The technology got to the point where really it needed a, a big injection of cash to really make this 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 happen. So. So Ricardo formed a small, um, a small little startup company to to go and raise funds to uh, to really accelerate the development. And just before Christmas, it was announced that 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 company had been purchased by um, by Fiat Industrial um, in its entirety, really to take the, the the technology forward. The amount of 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 trucks around the world and yeah. the, and, the, and the tractors um, which transport freight. I mean, the impact it could have on the environment. It, yeah, it, I yeah, mean, it, it must be quite exciting to. to yeah, know that. It, it's 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 absolutely massive. I mean, the you know you're seeing this big push for, for electrification in the in the passenger car sector, and that was the announcement today that they're going to bring forward the you know the accelerating that move towards electric powertrains, and yeah, that makes absolutely perfect sense. It's the right thing to do. But then we have the the working vehicles, you know, the the uh, the, the tractors, the, the combine harvesters, the the long haul freight trucks, and electrification just doesn't really work for those mm-hmm. those applications so you need a different solution we need something that's that's both efficient and and clean for those those applications and even though this still the technology still uses a fuel so you know the work we're doing is is using diesel which you know doesn't sound like a very environmentally friendly uh, solution but you know in the future we'll be having to move towards sustainable fuels so from um, uh, from a bio source or, or a synthetic source and those fuels are going to be a lot more expensive so the more efficiently we can use them that's really what's what's key to this this technology is being very efficient at using sustainable resources but also not producing uh, the, the toxic emissions that obviously is a lot of concern about yeah i mean because going down the a long, a long way down the track will be able to use potentially to be able to use this more sustainable fuels and not rely on fossil fuels. A- absolutely and, and this is one of the beauties of the, the technology which is really attractive is it's in its simplicity it looks it, it, it's it looks like a diesel engine mm-hmm. it's not a diesel engine but it looks like one what that means is it's very easy to transition the industry over to making these sorts of split cycle engine and at the same time transition and take and reduce the amount of carbon dangerous carbon actually in the in the fuels that supply that so you can do this in a series of steps and that means you can do it a lot quicker you know you're not reliant on a great big charging infrastructure to to be put down and, and all the costs associated with that you're not reliant on um, putting a lot more uh, uh, wind turbines down to, to provide the power grid you can do this in stages without having this like chicken egg effect that we you know it's one of the problems with actually with transitioning to things like electrification yeah and, and as you said we just heard that the the aim is to obviously bring that forward for all electric, electric cars but for bigger vehicles that's a long way off because right now we're talking about cars that don't have the range the, the yeah. technology's not there yet is it so we're way down well, the line for... yeah well i mean for, for, for passenger cars i mean you know i i, I come to work on an e-bike right. <laughs> you know, so i'm already like i've already electrified <laughs> in many ways but so in passenger cars most journeys are very short i mean if you think about mm. most of the journeys you make you're doing a few miles you know going to the shops maybe taking your kids to school or something like that and you know the the, the battery technology available is absolutely appropriate you know is there for, for those applications if you're trying to move a, a, a long distance, um, especially when you're carrying a heavy load like in a, in a truck, then the, you know, the, electric, the, the technology 
it, the, the, the big question is, will it ever be there? And actually, the, the governments in their, in their Road to Zero um, document, they actually say, you know, heavy-duty transport is a problem area. We don't see a clear solution for those applications. So that's where this technology fits. You wouldn't put it in a car, but you'd definitely put it in a, in a truck. Mm. Could it be used in other transport as well? Yes, very much so. Um, so so the, you know, the, 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 the primary path we've been going down is into the, into the commercial vehicle market. So that's, that's uh, long-range trucks, um, agricultural vehicles, and, uh, and construction vehicles. Um, it's also got very strong applications into, into, the, into the marine industry so you know most ships are powered by big diesel engines you could put a split cycle engine in there and you know gain a big benefit in in efficiency we're also looking at um, what we call distributed power so as we electrify large parts of the 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 kind of the economy so you know talk about electrifying heating and 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 road transport there'll be certain areas of the grid which will occasionally get quite highly stressed and it's it's very expensive to put all the electrical infrastructure in just for those maybe few days a year when there's a problem. Whereas actually, if you put a bit of local generating assets like this there, it's often a much more cost-effective way of dealing with those problems, just reinforcing local areas of the grid. Uh, How expensive would it be for this to go way bigger so the, for all these for all these companies to invest in this mm. is it going to cost them a lot of money to to change all their their fleet yeah well for, from the um from the the operators point well i mean the the, the, the people who are interested in the yeah, the, the, the people are the, the people who make the engine mm. there's the people there's the uh the operator who buy the buy the vehicles and then there's people who actually drive the, the vehicle so if you start with the driver then you know there's there's pretty much no change you know it's 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 has a similar very similar characteristics and feel to, to the diesel engine you know, you 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 initially you would fuel it using using diesel, and then that would transition to a, to a sustainable kind of liquid fuel in the in the future. So, almost no change for the the driver. For the, for the operator, um, it's again it's it's a new type of engine, but they're used to maintaining and looking after the same sort. You know, it's got stuff that goes up and down and round and round. It, it's it's not got a like a battery or fuel cell in there, which is completely different and would need a completely new set of service engineers. The other thing that's really, which I find very exciting, is is how much it costs to the operator. So this is a this is a green sustainable technology that actually saves the operator money. So the cost, the extra cost they'd have to pay for this technology, you know, it's it's, it's not a lot, but they'd actually recover that in in one to two years. We talk about in this sector this magic payback time of about three years, so it's two two to two three years. If a technology pays back in that time, then it gets adopted, and this and this does. So you don't need to put a load of incentives and subsidies in to to encourage the the, the rollout into the into the market. Mm. You, you said this has been a long time coming. This mm. project. How long is creating something like this? To, to coming up with with a wow. <laughs> a solution like this been on your mind? Yeah. So um, I mean, the the it's a, it's a real journey actually. So Harry Ricardo, one of his first engines, so it was something called the Dolphin engine. Um, which was at the you know, the turn of the last century, which used to was used to power the fishing boats in Shoreham, um, and that was a very early type of split cycle engine, um, and that's where the name you know the, the spin out company has been formed called Dolphin N two, and that's sort of a nod back to the Dolphin engine that um, that Ricardo invented. So the first time I encountered this was in the, light, the late nineties, kind of early two thousands, where uh, there was a project with National Power at Ricardo was looking at a very, very similar type of engine. Uh, and I was the, the lead engineer on that program for distributed 
power generation. And ultimately, we, we couldn't get the fuel to burn well enough in that project. Um, uh, you know, so we, we, it ultimately failed. Mm. You know, this, this isn't easy, you know, this, this, bringing this sort of thing to market. Um, and at the time, you know, the power prices uh, dropped and the business case for the technology just went away. And then it sort of came back again um, with uh, within, within Ricardo. There's some uh, some ideas about how to make this into a, a truck technology. And the market conditions, of course, have now fundamentally changed. There was this real push to push towards uh, you know re- reducing emissions from the sector um, and reducing the reliance on on fossil fuels. So, kind of the you know, the innovation was there, and the timing was absolutely right. There was a pressing need for this type of technology, and and that's really accelerated the the development. Mm. Can you remember that sort of moment where you really realised it had been cracked? <laughs> yes, yes, I can actually. Yeah, well, we it, it was a it was an interesting convergence of two two research projects. So we we were working on the on the split cycle engine, and we have a of a prototype running in the lab, and we were getting some quite good results, and and it was that was, it was all getting quite interesting. Um, at the same time, I was running with 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 one of the innovators at, uh, at Ricardo. We were, we were um, doing some thought experiments over if we wanted to make an engine completely clean, and you know we we sort of used the you know, do no harm kind of message. What what would we need to do? And we we kind of c- came up with this is what you need to do to make an engine clean and sustainable. And then we suddenly realised we've got one running in the lab. <laughs> <laughs> so the two ideas converged together and. You know, we, we realised we, that we had not only something that was very, very efficient, but also with very low emissions. Mm. How exciting is this for you now? Because, I mean, this is a big a big brand that's taking on yeah. this engine. Uh, so the potential is is just massive. And, and, and this is the, the cleanest, most high efficient engine in the world. It mm. just sits in... <laughs> sits here at the lab. University of Brighton in the lab. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, it, it, it's it's tremendous. I mean, I, you know, I've I've um, it's something I've I've always been passionate about. Is is you know, look look at the impact of technology on the environment since since I started my my career. You know, and really to to see something actually going through then to the market, which can genuinely make a difference. Mm-hmm. And you know, what's I, I think is so important about this type of technology is you know if you really get behind it is the speed of deployment you know, you know there isn't this chicken and egg you don't have to change huge parts of the of the industry to 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 really get this to to, to be adopted so you you really could have an impact very very quickly which is really what you know we see or we see in the news every day we this is absolutely what has to happen and that and you know being part of that is is tremendous mm. and and what's sort of the rough timeline then with this this first deal when are we going to see them on the roads i mean it's i mean that's you know it's, it's difficult to answer that question because that's kind of all within the um you know obviously the, the owners uh, mm. in, in fiat powertrain on, on their commercial plans but um you know they i think they've sent a pretty clear message in in really get you know getting behind this technology and essentially buying the the, the company that they see this has been quite an important future so you know i think watch this space yeah um just talking you touched just about your sort of passion for creating more sustainable uh, products. And as a university, obviously, we recently declared a, a climate emergency, mm. published our sustainability targets through to, to 2025 as well. Um, clearly a lot you do um, to, 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 to change this as well. But how does it help to work at a university which sort of aligns with those, those values? 
I, I mean, it's on on many fronts. I mean, it's you know, it's, it's some people say these sorts of things is tokenism, but it, but it is giving a, a very very clear message and and commitment to you know to you know probably one of the most important things that we, we you know we face as as individuals i mean i, I was talking about this with I, I i'm a scout leader and i was talking to this with the cubs last night about <laughs> sustainability and things and about windmills and you know everybody has a role to play on that either by um their own actions or by the the pressure they put on on you know on the politicians to to act and you know it's really important that we all get behind this to to make it happen i mean it, you know it's going to be difficult it's you know this this transition is going to cost people money it will hurt our pockets but it has to happen so bringing that hearts and minds along at the same is is so important has it always I been think. wired in your mind do you think so the, the sustainability to to to, <laughs> to make things better I, I I think so, and um, actually, I, it's something I talked about my in my inaugural lecture actually last year, is uh, and that was I I, I read uh, James Lovelock's book very very early on on the on the, the Gaia theory, which really talked about the impact that life has on what he called the biosphere, and that realization that you know our our everyday actions have an impact on the environment around us, and that that I sort of kind of realized that. Uh, when I was a was was a teenager, and and that's always been part of, I suppose, what interests me in being an engineer. I mean, engineers are there to basically make things better. You know, that's part of what we do, um, and realize you know that, that making things better for for ourselves and also for the environment we live in. That's always been something that's important. Yeah, um, a, just a little story there. I, I turned, you know, Ricardo. I I turned up. I remember turning up for the first day at Ricardo. You know, this is one of the largest automotive consultancies in the world on a push bike. <laughs> so, you know, not owning a is that car. That a rare thing. It was almost unheard of. Really? Was there anywhere to put it? Uh, yes, they have. Yes, they have bike racks. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, just you know, the, the research that you've been doing um, with partners, obviously, is a major breakthrough. The, the sort of this sort of thing is increasingly being taken more and more seriously, like we're talking about. And it mm. is going to cost a lot of money, um, but the people have woken up, haven't mm. they? So, yeah. do you see it us going towards sort of a, a trend of exciting solutions? being presented over the coming years we're going to see quite a lot more yeah I, I, yeah I, th- I think so i mean essentially you know we have got to that that crisis point you know that realization that um that we you, you, you know we we've we've pretty much run out of time mm-hmm. really to 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 just bumble along and and do a few tweaks here and there you know we some some serious action is is genuinely needed and you know, I was at a, a an event um, with Sir David King, who I think spoke at the university last year, and um, you know, he said, you know, we're not we're not talking really about now about reducing uh, cutting carbon emissions. We're talking about climate repair. Mm. You know, the, the, the debate's almost the, the leaders in the debate have almost moved on from cutting carbon emissions and say, right, you know, we've we've probably gone too far already. We need now need to see how we actively repair the climate. So, you know, and I, and I think. You're seeing, especially with the you know the youth movements now, that the um, you know that intense that frustration and pressure really to act. Yeah. Do you, are you encouraged by the sort of direction that the general the world is going in? There are <laughs> yeah. We I mean, don't yes. get too political about it, but there are some major <laughs> yeah countries which maybe aren't going the same direction at the moment. I mean, I think I, I, I think um, the. I, I, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm naturally optimistic, so <laughs> I'd say yes. I think uh, in answer to that question, I think the you know you see actions in in some countries, and you know ultimately they uh, you know they'll, they'll 
uh, you know, I think they will have to be changed there. Mm. You know, you, you you see that sort of flip flopping in some in some nations. I mean, I think that you know, for the UK, it has taken a leadership role. It has really, you know, consistently through different political parties, continued the the momentum. You know, maybe not fast enough, but it certainly has taken that leadership role. And I think. You know the 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 thing that always worries me, and I think is is partially the elephant in the room, and it's something that doesn't get looked at. Is it is going to it, it is going to you know that transition is going to is going to hurt. Mm. You know it, it's it's inevitable, and I think you know things like Greta says, we sort of stop lying to ourselves. Mm. You know, I think we have to recognise that and accept that you know there, it, there will be some impact on our standards of living and things in the in, during the transition, but we have to do that because the consequences are much much worse. Mm. You obviously work very closely with students, and then as you were mentioning as being a scout leader with the Cubs yeah. you're talking about um, a younger group of, of, of people um, and do you sort of see that that sort of the the youth sort of rising up about this and being a lot more serious about it do you kind of see it within that group obviously we're talking about Greta Thunberg and stuff yeah. and leading all, leading all this I think I mean, I mean I think with the you know with the age group I work with in the, in the scouts I, th- I think uh, certainly awareness you know they 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 kind of are aware in what they do at school and they see on on um, on things like the, the the television and such like very aware of that whether that translates direction i mean they are kids you know mm. you say you know the things i was to talk to the scouts about you know is if you go outside to play in winter shut the door mm. <laughs> you know things like that i mean i'm always telling my kids shut the door turn the lights <laughs> off you know so but that's that's kids you, you know so they don't you wouldn't necessarily expect them to be able to do that direct action but they're certainly aware of it and they you know my kids have actively been debating it at school you know so i think that's that's really good so that understanding's there um within the students obviously with you know with young people uh, moving into into professional life um you, you know you, you do it, it's it's hard to say because how much do we actually de- debate and we you know and also i do see a kind of a select community there of people who've chosen to do engineering mm. um but you certainly can see with individuals some real passion there. There's no, you know, no, we really do need to do this. Mm. And uh, you know, I teach one of the parts of my teachers. I teach about diesel technology, and we, we know, we have an active debate. And when will the last diesel engine be be, be produced in the, in the kind of the current format and the such like? And uh, you know, there's that, there's that's something that certainly interests them mm. as, a, as a group. Yeah. Let's talk about another project you have going on here at the university. I'm not really sure I've got the time to do this at the, <laughs> at, right. at the moment, but yeah. um, the Impact Factory. Yes. Well, okay. Do you want to explain what that is? Wow. Okay. Well, it, it's, <laughs> all these things become very linked. <laughs> yeah. So this was, um, you know, I spoke earlier about the, you know, these thought experiments that we were doing um, was with a really good friend and colleague at, at Ricardo, Professor Andrew Atkins, and we you know we we started think we started to realize that we, you know we needed to rather than thinking incrementally you you, you start to to spiral into a into a, a kind of a boxed in view of the world and and it, and it prejudices the solutions you produce and we thought we you know we need to do something a little bit different I mean, people think out of they talk about out of the box thinking i think we were just taking a little bit more than that and what we did was we realized that's part of the problem that we face is not really understanding what the problem is we need to answer so the idea with the impact factory is is we we talk about uh, messy problems or the knotty problems or or in some uh, in the social science they talk about wicked problems these are ones that they, they're not really problems they're situations you know you, we things we don't really understand something's wrong but we don't know we can't articulate it and what we try to do with the impact factory is to tackle those problems. Those are the ones that as engineers we normally run away from. Mm. You know, 
is to try to, to through a process of questioning, is to get back to what's the fundamental question that we need to be answering. And if we can understand that and then hand that over to a team of engineers, they'll come up with a really great solution. Yeah. If, so the, it's all about asking the right question. Yeah. That's what we're really trying to do. And the, what's we, it's very exciting is, is bringing, is what we see this is we're bringing the, the student body, um, our academic researchers and industrial collaborators together in that in that that collaboration of those three groups uh, you know you get the young vibrant minds of the students kind of get the problems or the situations coming from industry and you you get kind of the old hand academic minds all working together and um and that's been a, a real joy seeing yeah. that happen i i i've read that it is it's, it's saying to sort of work backwards and ask naive yeah, questions that's right yes can that always be rephrased as almost like simple questions because like i guess is there a tendency that engineers and experts can Overcomplicate things before then the, yeah, before yeah. the simple questions being answered first. You've you've yeah. gone, you found something you need to talk about, but you've started far too high up before you've gone. Yeah, low. yeah. It's it's really. I suppose it's asking. I won't say the simple answer. So it's the is the simple question. Sim- yeah, yeah. So we, you know, we if you if you, you know, things get complicated quite quickly when you're working in engineering, but we we're trained to deal with that. If we have you know clear definition of where of what of what the you know what the targets are, what is it you where you want to get to, then. All the things we, tra- we teach engineers here at any other university and then work in practice, they, they are very well equipped to do that. But the thing is, is to, is to get that first question right. Mm. And that's, that's, the, that's what we think is the key. And this is where we got to with the, um, the, you know, the work we do. We call it cool combustion is, is with, the, with the split cycle engine. We realise that um, we normally we start off with kind of like a diesel engine and then we try and make it clean. And we realised the problem was it was actually in the way a diesel engine works. So if we said, well, actually, all we've got to do there is we've got fuel, we've got air, we've got to get them mixed together and reacted. And then how's the best way of doing that? We're kind of taking a step back from there. Mm-hmm. And then you that opens up a lot more, some very interesting ideas. So it, you are, you're taking a few steps back from the start, the place we'd normally start. Mm. It's, it's a different way for, for students to, to learn. It's a different way for engineers to, yeah. to engage i mean and that's what the the, the kind of the you talk about the, the light bulb moments <laughs> we had here was we um we got to the the, the very very clean engine and we thought God, we've got a new process here because this isn't how engineers normally think um and at the same time i we we had a uh, there was a, a an academic from the business school came to talk to our school about strategy and you know, in the in the business world, they they're used to dealing with uncertainty and messiness and this sort of thing. I thought actually that's really similar to what we've just done. Mm-hmm. And I remembered some work that I did uh, during when I did my um, my MBA um, was again looking at messy problem solving. And we realised actually, you know, the, the social scientists do this all the time. So we realised we hadn't come up with a new process. We just found we kind of stumbled into into normal practice in in other disciplines. And that's what one of the things we've been trying to do is collaborate is. In areas where they're used to dealing with this sort of uncertainty, you know that's that's business as usual for them yeah. in those areas, and and learning from them and bringing those into the engineering context. And I want to stress is that you know most engineering is actually quite certain, but some of it isn't, yeah. and it's recognizing the bits that aren't and using a different sort of toolkit to address those problems. Within universities, would you say the impact factory and the idea behind it? is sort of unique to the University of Brighton? Um, I think so. I mean, I, I haven't seen it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when we talk to... I, th- I think other places talk about uncertainty and messy problems, but actually doing it. And, and I think 
if you if you look at the university strategy around practical wisdom, I mean, it's practical wisdom in practice. Mm. That's really what we're, we're doing there. So I think Brighton has has culturally a unique set of circumstances that mean something like this can flourish in a, in a university like this. So what are the next stages for the Impact Factory? Well, um, <laughs> well, we, we, we rolled it out this year into the into more formally into the undergraduate program. So we have undergraduates working on through their projects on these on these questions. Um, so that's that's growing. We're, we're trying to bring more academic collaborators in, so you know, to, to widen the, the kind of the community. Um, and we've got some interesting engagements with, with with companies, with business who are seeing something quite differentiated. You know, so you know, wanting to us to try out some of their, you know, the problems that they've been really struggling with. You know, we've we've been working on this for years, and we just don't seem to get a solution. Can we try and think about it a different way? So it's kind of organically growing at a increasing rate right it all sounds brilliant um we end every podcast uh, <laughs> right. with some questions completely away from your work right so i'll try yes. just some quick fire stuff we completely unrelated to anything yeah. we've been talking about i guess first one would be what advice would you give to your younger self uh, yeah i was struggling with that one actually <laughs> um i think kind of stick to your guns you know if you i, I think that, that sort of nervousness and lack of confidence when I was younger and actually realising, actually, no, no, you're right there. You know, stick to you, be confident, stick to your guns. Mm. If you could pick a completely different subject to study at the University of Brighton, what would it be? Oof, now, uh, interesting, geology or history? Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, they've all, always been interested of yours? Or? Yeah, I, I mean, geology, I think it goes back to that interest in the natural world. Mm. You, you know, and I, I studied geology, you know, I grew up in Yorkshire and there's some really interesting geology there. Mm. So I love going around the hills and, you know exploring uh things there um my, you know my father was a was a was a history teacher and i think that had a strong impact on my direction because he he was te- you know i grew up in a, 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 a actually a deindustrializing de- town and for my early life was going out and looking at the you know the impact of the industrial revolution and things and i've always found that that fascinating great uh, can you pick a favorite place in sussex uh, the sea yeah just the general sea anywhere in yeah the... well I, I scuba dive so oh, okay. i love being out on the water great um if you could give visitors to brighton and the area a tip of what's to do with experience whilst they're here what would you suggest i, I kind of like wandering around the lanes yeah yeah i think you know interesting people interesting places interesting places to eat so. great stuff um tell us something interesting about you which most people may not know I, I scuba dive. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I might be one. Good, yeah, I, I do. I do something a bit different. I think people are quite surprised that I cycle to. You know, I'm, I'm a professor of thermal propulsion. You know, an engines <laughs> person. I cycle to work on a, on an e-bike. Yeah. And finally, if you could pick three people to host uh, for a dinner party, um, who would they be and why? Oh God, right. I was really, really struggling with that. I mean, I, you know, I, th- I think often my family's really good company, <laughs> actually. So. Thank you so much to Rob for his time. Find out more about the project through the podcast links and check out the video we've produced as well to see the engine in action. The links are in this podcast description and follow our social media channels as well. And if you're not already, just to let you know, you can listen to this podcast via most podcast apps. Just search University of Brighton. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the usual suspects, and you can listen to past editions on there as well. But for now, thanks for listening.